All right. So uh, welcome to the X Mormon podcast. I am Bishop Jensen. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Elder Jackson. So I think before we get into the topic of today, why don't you just tell us where your uh, your nickname, Elder Jackson, came from? <laughs> yeah, uh, I never served a mission, so I feel like I got robbed of, right. of the title Elder. I always hoped maybe someday I'd become like a 70 or something and they'd call me Elder. But obviously that didn't happen. As you can tell, I don't have like a 70s sounding voice. <laughs> Uh, so you're not boring enough, not nearly boring enough. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, uh, I'm Elder Jackson and thanks for having me here today, Bishop. Well, welcome. I'm Bishop Jensen. And like you, I've called myself Bishop because I never stuck around in the church long enough to become a Bishop. <laughs> you missed and, out. Yeah. I missed out on, uh, lots of suffering, but also lots of spiritual validation. I think that comes from holding a high office in the church. So. Yes, I'm Bishop Jensen. Jensen because every Utah last name is either Jensen, Larson, Nielsen, or some other Scandinavian. So just to be the quintessential Mormon. And I'd say Elder Jackson, you probably spell that with like 12 X's in the middle, right? Absolutely, I do. Just to keep up with the theme of Utah names. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So today we're going to talk about, um, and this I think is kind of a key part of growing as you grow out of the church, grow out of being an ex-Mormon is the decision on whether or not you talk to your parents and family and friends about religion and how do you talk to them about it? So, I mean, your thoughts on that just generally, do you think it's a good idea to approach your family about religion and about the reality of Mormon claims? I think it's a, it's a tough thing because growing up in the church, we're taught that, you know, people outside of the church are going to antagonize us, right? And they're going to they're gonna come at us and be anti-Mormon and stuff, right? Which you wouldn't call somebody who believes in a round earth anti-flat earther, right? Like yeah. somebody who goes up to a flat earther and says, hey, just a heads up, the earth is a globe, not a flat plane. You wouldn't call that person anti, right? You, you wouldn't be offended by what that person is doing. But in the church, we're taught that it's like if somebody comes and, you know, fights you, or not even fights, but opposes your belief, suddenly they're anti, and, and then they're dangerous. And so I found it hard to approach, approach this in any way with any sort of criticism and honestly, it makes me kind of miss being in the church because when I was in, you know, I could at least be like, oh, well, I'm an active member. And then my family would be like, oh, Alex, he's, he says some funny he's things. A fring- he's a fringe guy. Yeah. He's on the, uh, yeah. But now. They'd say, oh, Elder Jackson. Oh, Elder like- Jackson. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but now being out, yeah, it's, it's like, oh, if he says something, he's he's antagonizing us. So it's kind of like there's, there's a privilege that comes from being part of the in group, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of why African-Americans can use the N word, but white people can't. Right. 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 It's why certain racial groups can use or, or other minority groups can use the slurs directed towards them, but people outside the group can't, there's certain privilege that comes from being part of the group. Right. Right. And I've lost my privileges. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's part of, I think it's a maturing thing that you have to recognize 
as you come out of the church is that you are losing the privilege to criticize or comment or complain about the church in the eyes of other members of the church. You removed yourself from the group, even though you feel like you're still part of it mm-hmm. and that Mormonism might still be a part of your DNA in the eyes of the group, you've removed yourself. Right. And so now your comments are your outsider. Com- you're making outsider comments. Right. I think you've got to recognize where you stand with people, right? It's that's part of being emotion, having emotional intelligence. I think self-awareness is realizing where you stand with other people before you engage in conversation like that. Right. And I, I, I do think though, too, that even though, you know, this idea, and this is kind of what you and I are working towards is to kind of be at at a leave it alone kind of phase in life. Yeah. At the same time, I was thinking about this yesterday. If, if my country that I was living in became war torn and was awful and something bad was happening and the government was doing something awful and I had to flee to another country and claim refugee status or whatever, I would still feel a connection to that place, even though I've left it behind and may never return. I would still feel some sort of historical connection to that place. I grew up there, right? Mm -hmm. I I spent my whole life up till now in that country. And so the whole idea of, oh, they can leave, but they can't leave it alone. Well, of course we can't leave it alone. It's part of who we are. It's part of our development. You don't, you know, graduate high school and then never talk about high school again. It's not suddenly not part of your lived experience, right? And so I think it makes it really hard because it cancels out a part of the conversations that we can have, that we're allowed to have with our family and our friends. I know. Yeah. As I was making like my departure from the church, I remember sitting down beer in hand and not feeling any less Mormon than I did a few months before when I was serving in my calling and paying my tithing. It like, it becomes something that's so written into your DNA. So you feel like you're in the group. You feel like you're a refugee fleeing your home country, but they don't see it that way. Right. They see you as having abandoned the truth, yeah. right? And, 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 and turned away. And it's really weird. I've tried recently to change my language a little bit yeah. that, I, that I use with my family. Because when I first told them, I, I told my mom, I said, well, I find it unlikely that there's a God. That's how I told them. I didn't say anything about Joseph Smith. I hadn't gone down that rabbit hole. I didn't know to the depth. I knew the apologetics side of things and stuff. And, but I didn't know all the details. I wasn't as familiar with all the details and didn't have huge problems with the historicity issues and stuff. I, I really, I left because of a God belief issue. And then when I told my, my family, it kind of gave them like a, oh, he just doesn't believe in God. There's nothing wrong with the church. Church, yeah. And so I almost regret telling them before I had come to the full realization that like, no, the church is pretty demonstrably false. Like, yeah. right? And, and I could have said that if I waited longer, I could have said like, oh, I left because it's not true. Yeah. I think as you come out of the church, because it's such an emotional and not rational process, when you're going through an emotional experience, it takes a while, I think, for your the rational part of your brain to catch up with what you're experiencing. 
and to kind of construct a narrative Mm -hmm. and explain all the reasons. And so as you're coming out of the church, you're kind of giving your family new information as it, as it comes to light, but it's not in a, and then your family will hear what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, well, you left the church because of X. And then you, you're like, it's like two or three years later. And you're like, well, no, I actually had more time to process this. And actually there's, that's not the whole picture at all. And you're misunderstanding. Yeah. <laughs> you're misunderstanding me. And, and then you feel, and sometimes I look at people who publicly leave the church on Facebook and say, maybe I need to do that just now that I have a solid narrative for why I've done what I've done. Mm-hmm. I can set the record straight one time for everybody, but I don't think that's actually helpful. It feels like it'd be helpful, but I don't think that it would actually be helpful. Yeah. And there's a weird thing to it too. Cause I, I sat on it for a year. I decided yeah. a year over a year before leaving that I was leaving. I said, yeah. Kate in at, at this time frame, I'm gone. Yeah. And, and I did that. And I, told everybody I talked to the people who I felt like oh I don't want them to just find out and be like oh no you know like what happened why didn't he you know I told the people who I was close with so that it's like hey just so you know especially since I do podcasting if it ever came up right especially if somebody found this right and there I recognize that voice of Elder Jackson right yeah and and so I think that it's it's really I don't know, even though I had processed it, I hadn't quite figured out the language to to properly communicate it because it's, it's it's not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but I feel a little bit bad saying that it's not true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you get the same thing? It, I mean, yeah, it's hard for me to come out and say it is not true. And I think the reason why it's hard for me to say that now is because the word, the talking about whether or not things are true is a meaningless discussion mm-hmm. because we don't have that discussion around anything else except for the Mormon church. I don't talk about like whether or not at work that whether or not we're making a true decision. We right. talk about whether or not we're making a good decision or a bad decision based on the information we have and, and kind of, anticipated and unanticipated consequences of making that decision, but nobody else frames the world in terms of true and false. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that can come out of my mouth without me cringing at myself is the church just isn't what it said it was. Yeah. Hmm. Right. That's what I can say is the church isn't what it said it was. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good way to, to put it, but then, it also leaves it open to the the idea that, oh, well, obviously somebody along the way told you the wrong thing, Bishop, right? Yeah. Somebody along the way, you know, told you that the Book of Mormon is a historical document. Of course, we all know that it's not, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you feel like an idiot <laughs> because <laughs> suddenly you find yourself in this group of people who don't support this part of the church or that part of the church or this truth claim or that one. Yeah, right, right. Right. A lot of nuanced believers who cafeteria Mormons who right. take what they want. Right. Right, exactly. There's the the idea of overloading the truth basket. I forget which is that like Patrick Mason or some somebody. Somebody said that. And yeah, yeah I was listening to this podcast today 
that was talking about how the church is true, and he was going through all the CES letter claims. Okay. his conclusion so far, it's a series of episodes, so he goes into detail about things. But his conclusion so far is the Book of Mormon didn't actually happen, which it's like that was so integral to what I was taught. Yeah. Right? And my family still believes that it happened. Yeah. So I guess like when I talk to people who are outside of the the group, outside of Mormonism, who find out about it, who care that I've no longer affiliated, when they ask why I say it's not what it said it was. If my kids start to ask, I just say, do you know what? It makes a lot of claims about what it is. And I found out that those claims weren't exactly didn't square with reality. And I guess with my parents or with family or people who are close to me who are in the group, I tell them the whole story and I've gotten it down to kind of a Coles notes version. And so then true or false, the way I avoid it from coming into the conversation is, functional and dysfunctional like this just didn't work for me mm-hmm. and i really really tried really really hard and i can say i gave it everything i could i developed an anxiety disorder over it and people who are close to me lived with me through that disorder you know in that struggle and so they know that yeah i really did and they can kind of see when i explain it to them they say yeah i can see how this didn't work for you sorry that you experienced it this way wish things could have been better and that's kind of where it comes to right mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i think that you know that's a good way that you're that you're able to express your experience with it yeah. right but it's still in i don't know in the back of my head it still irks me that it has to be a oh it didn't work for me right okay all right yeah because uh, yeah because for me, it was working. It was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. I was the most socially capable person in the church, right? Right. I had tons of friends, had fun in my wards. And, you know, the people that I knew, the experiences that I had, great bishops, like we've talked on other episodes, great young men's leaders. Everything was, like, working exactly as it was supposed to, other than... Yeah obviously me not serving a mission. And so I, you know, I was the stand up Mormon, stand up Latter-day Saint doing everything. But I I left because it's not true. (laughs) Like I didn't, I didn't leave because it hurt me. Yeah. It was, it was perfect for me. I loved it. Yeah. I, but I just didn't feel comfortable going out and saying, oh, yeah, hi, I'm Mormon. Mm-hmm. And then people saying, oh, really? And I'm, and then I, you know, I have to whisper, like, don't worry, I know it's not true. Okay, well, now you're part of, you know, a sexist, racist yeah. organization. Yeah, right? that is curious. Yeah, like, as time goes on, the church is accruing more bad credit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. It, it's something you don't even want to tell people about, whereas maybe... 20 years ago, it'd be like, I'm a Mormon. It's like, oh, you're like that really nice family on South Park. Right. Right. It yeah. was really, Mormons held this place when I was growing up in the mid 90s, early 2000s, where they're a little strange, but they have great family values and they're also happy. And that was kind of, and 
as we moved into the 21st century, it was Mormons are racist, Mormons are sexist, Mormons uh, are homophobic. And it kind of, it's losing three major social societal battles, right? Yeah. yeah. Public opinions gone down. Well, and then Dallin gets up there every six months and, and talks about how we have to stand righteous and stand firm for religious freedom like yeah. our religious freedom is being taken away because Wait. gay people are allowed to be married, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> like <laughs> religious freedom and Mormonism is is a good one for its own episode. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think we can have a very extended conversation about what religious freedom means, to, means. to Mormons specifically. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So I, I'm curious, how often does the church come up with you and your family. So for me and my dad, we have always talked about the church and just doctrine and procedure and whatever uh, policy, everything. We've just kind of, we've always talked and speculated and kind of disagreed um, throughout my life. So it's hard to spend time with my dad and talk about something different. And I'd say when I came home from my mission, me and my dad, and through my mission, me and my dad really connected over that shared experience. So I think with my dad, it's hard to get out of the rut because we've always, that's what we've connected to his father and son about is Mormonism. Mm -hmm. So with my dad, it's trying to find new things to talk about outside of the church. When we do talk, I stay diplomatic. For me, painfully diplomatic. And I bet if you ask my dad, he would probably say he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. But I think when you come out of Mormonism, so I guess, okay, so if we close up the first part of the discussion, it's should you bother talking to your family about the church and kind of what do you think? What's your kind of final word on that? Um, <laughs> avoid it, but if it comes up, I have made the deliberate choice to not pretend that it's true or not you know, go down the the line of, oh, well, you know, it's true for you kind of thing. I'm very, right. if it okay. comes up, I say, it's not true, but if you want to go along with it, that's your choice. Okay. So how did, like, how does that go over usually? Uh, <laughs> usually uh, ends with the conversation kind of uh, puttering out <laughs> a little. Bit. But like, are you able to, is it comfortable enough still that you're able to change gears and start talking about the weather or something? Yeah. Sports yeah. Or? Yeah. It doesn't completely yeah. kill our relationship. Yeah. Just yeah. that aspect of the conversation. Right. So, I mean, that's, I'm very diplomatic and sometimes I think I'm diplomatic just cause I'm chicken. Um, and I'm really just more afraid of, or, or concerned about preserving the relationship to the extent that I'll just be diplomatic and then try and brush it off and then move on. Kind of right. Thing. Yeah. A little more passive. Um, but I guess that that's what listeners could take away is just two different kind of experiences. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, just listening to you talk. Um, yeah. My tendency to be more diplomatic probably just comes from my own nervousness and, uh, and, and a bit of over anxiety over preserving the relationship. So, yeah. There's probably room for me to be a little bit more straightforward. But and some room for me to be a little bit more diplomatic. Diplomatic, <laughs> right? I think it's it's a learning curve and there's no right way to handle it, but I guess 
what we can what we both agree on is that you should avoid it at all costs. <laughs> yeah, right? it it just doesn't it doesn't have to come up because yeah. the way I see it, I came to this conclusion on my own. I didn't yeah. read the CES letter. I didn't read any you know evil books or whatever before making the decision that I was going to leave. I had already yeah. come to that conclusion just thinking through things and realizing, you know, very clearly this isn't what it says it is. And because of that, I have hope that my family <laughs> will someday, you know, start thinking for themselves and will find their way out as well. Okay, so now next question for you, I think, on that. I was have I was talking to another friend who's also left the church a month thing. We talked about the church for a few hours, and we were both kind of talking about, like, wouldn't it be great to leave this all behind? And a question I asked him, and it, kind of, it ended up changing our conversation in a lot of way, and I think it's, it's going to change how we talk to each other in the future, is I said, do you think that the reason why we still talk about the church is that throughout our friendship and our relationship, the church was always the thing we had in common? And now that we've left the church that seems to be the major thing we have in common. Hmm. And it's almost as if you, if you let it go entirely, is the friendship going to disappear completely? Hmm. And, and we just, we kind of, he just came back. He said, you know, like the church isn't all we talk about and we've got a lot of things in common. I think I didn't mean to try and upset. I was talking about it more generally. Maybe he took it more personally. But he said, that's not, that doesn't have to be all we talk about. And we ended up talking about a lot of other things. And then we just kind of talked about, like, we should talk about this other kind of stuff more often. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the challenge with your family and the church, is that even though you've left the church, the church is still a big part of your connection to your family. And it's almost like, if I don't talk to my family about the church, what are we going to talk about? Right. Yeah. One of, one of my siblings even said to me when we were having a conversation about it. He's, he said, our relationship will never be the same. We'll never be as close as we could have been because now he says, we're on two different paths. And I asked him, I said, well, what's the different path? What's, you know, what changed? Right. He says, well, not that it's so different. It's just that it's that much more different. Right. And, and so for, for them, I think that, yeah, we lose, lose that thing in common. Because I don't know if you did this, but as a teenager or as a YSA, late night conversations with your friends, imagine the celestial kingdom. Imagine. Yeah. And now I can't participate in that conversation without rolling my eyes yeah. Yeah. and thinking, look, guys, I've, I played along with this for a while. Yeah. You know, and I can't do it anymore. I can't do it because I I've decided to be an honest person. I've yeah. decided to be honest about where I'm at with this and yeah. and where, you know, where I'm going in the future instead of sitting there and being like, yeah, that'll be amazing, man. You know, yeah. instead, I I've turned over this new leaf and that's. I think that's been a hard realization for people is to look back and realize, oh, 
he didn't mean that what he said back then and oh that's what he meant when he was bringing up those controversial things about church history in a very casual kind of oh yeah isn't that interesting kind of way right right and i think what like when you say that just having some self-awareness as well and just realizing like to your family and to your friends in the church you are a whole new person right you yeah you don't you feel the same and your day-to-day hasn't changed very much but they don't know how to interact with you anymore right they don't know how to they're navigating something on their own right yeah um, so i'd say it okay so we've discussed should you talk to your family about it we say no <laughs> unless you're pressed and then how you kind of deal with it when you're pressed we've got two different views on being more diplomatic versus being more straightforward and i think we've talked about pros and cons in both so the next thing is is what do you do instead with your family and friends who are still in the church if you want to keep those relationships what do you start talking about and how do you keep engaged with those people yeah huh that's a, like I, yeah. I think in some ways you've got to be ready to realize that you're just not going to have in their eyes the relationship has fundamentally changed yeah and you they won't be close with you ever again yeah and that's part of the risk you take on do you have some active friends who you who you're still in touch with and chat with yeah so some of my active friends um, we've been friends since we were in primary. And so we just had a lot of things that we did together outside of church right? and a lot of interests and shared experience outside of church. So we have a lot to talk about outside of church. And I'd say church comes up as often in our discussions as what it ever did, which was hmm. not very often. Hmm. But I know some friends, other friends where we were mostly friends because we met at church. We met more recently. We have less of a history. And a lot of what we did talk about and discuss was church. It's hard. Yeah. I'd say those ones have kind of fallen by the wayside. So I think for, for me, it's pretty much the same thing. It's the, the friends that we had a relationship outside of church because you have your church friends, right? You show up. Yeah and and you hang out in the hallway or you go I'll sit with to that the activities guy. yeah exactly yeah. right you you make these friends and whether it's in your YSA ward or family ward or wherever you're at but then you might not see them outside of that right growing up i had my friends on young men's camps we never talked outside of that right i'll yeah. never see yeah. those people again yeah and now though it's the the people who I was friends with at church only. I, I'm not in touch with them. That's where mm-hmm. we were friends. That was the context for our friendship, for our relationship. But yeah. now I still keep in touch with the friends that I would go see the Marvel movies or the Star Wars movies yeah, yeah. with and the yeah. ones that I would go hiking with or go camping or, you know, whatever. And so I still have friends who... For example, I play video games with every single week and I I sit down and take some time and game with them and we talk about the latest Star Wars or Marvel Disney Plus TV show going on instead of, well, not even instead of, 
the church because that was never a huge thing. But that our conversation has shifted a little bit. And then sometimes, sometimes those things do come up and then we have those conversations. Sometimes they'll ask me questions or, you know, they'll, I've told them to not tell me if they're praying for me because I don't care. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I've made that boundary. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but, but yeah, what about, what else has been your experience with, I just uh, say similar with what you're saying. I think just when you're talking about like, sometimes I'll ask you questions. I'm guessing that's usually the, the conversation around Mormonism usually comes in. It's usually around like actually an open discussion of ideas and like, a genuine interest in what your viewpoints are now. So it's not like you're talking about Mormonism specifically. They ask you mm-hmm. kind of general, is that right? Yeah. 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 That's, that's a little bit more accurate. And if Mormonism ever does come up, cause I've mentioned a couple things before I'll like yeah. add something to the conversation that before leaving would have been totally fine for me to do. And they kind of would have been like, Oh, Alec, you know, Right. But now it's like a oh he's trying to turn me kind of right. feeling right and so so then sometimes I've noticed I'll say something and they'll just ig- ignore it completely won't yeah. even yeah. <laughs> say anything about Did, it. I was talking to two missionaries recently and I said to them I they were talking about agency or something like that and we we're just kind of going through things the Book of Mormon said about agency and I was like wait a minute hang on a second here two people in the Book of Mormon disagree with each other about agency. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, like Lehi says you have to be enticed one by the other, but then Benjamin says that we were wicked from the beginning and always predisposed to evil. So Lehi says we have to be, we have to stand, we're like neutral standing between good and evil. King Benjamin says we're the natural man and we are an enemy to God from the beginning. So one's pre- more predestined and one's a little bit more towards free will. These guys would disagree with each other. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to reconcile it. And I said, hold on. If these guys disagree with each other, is that okay? And they were really, really defensive about that question. I said, is the Book of Mormon still okay in your mind if two of its prophets disagree? And they were really, really defensive. And I said, guys, I need to be clear here. I'm not trying to say gotcha with the answer to this question. I don't care what your answer to this question is. I genuinely want to know what you think about two prophets of the book of Mormon disagreeing, and if that's okay. And if it's not okay, why is it not okay? And they said, well, first they said, sorry, we're defensive because whenever somebody asks a question like that, they're trying to do an I gotcha game, right? Mm-hmm. I said, I don't, like, I don't care. If you guys want to be on your missions and be in the church and that brings you happiness, none of my business to stop you. But I can't not point out that, I guess kind of like what you say about boldness. Like, there are certain things where I come to a point where I say, I can't not pussyfoot around this. I yeah. just have to say the way I see it, right? Yeah. And and they just said, sorry, we're like, we're defensive because when people ask questions like this, they're usually trying to trip us up. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's an interesting thing to think about. Can yeah. prophets in the Book of Mormon disagree? Yeah. And I, I think that that's an important way to make sure that we go about it is that it's coming from a place of curiosity yeah. as to what, what they think. Right. I, I had a conversation with a roommate. All of my roommates are, uh, are Mormon, active Mormons. Yeah. And I asked one of them, cause he was asking me a little bit, he he's curious about 
my belief and perspective and stuff. And he was asking me about my perspective on the word of wisdom because for him, he's a little bit more nuanced about it. He said, oh, right. I was out with my dad and he's not active and he had a beer. And I was like, oh, what does that taste like? You know? Yeah, and right, right. So he's a little bit more nuanced. So he was asking me about my own feelings about the word of wisdom now outside of the church as well as what it was growing up inside the church. And so we're already having this conversation. So I took that opportunity to ask an additional question. And I asked him, I said, if, if you found evidence like or information that was very clearly looking like Book of Mormon's not true, like it is not a historical record, not, not at all, what would you do? And I was honestly curious because for me, that matters, right? Yeah, yeah. But he said, I wouldn't care. Right. (laughs) And and I I was like, and so I asked more questions. And I always ask permission. I think this is a good way to go about it. Can I ask a follow-up question? Do you mind, you know, if I ask more and kind of get into your belief a little bit more about this? Because that puts it on them. They're giving you permission right? They're saying, yes, I feel comfortable in this conversation, you know, or I'm willing to get into this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then they'll, they'll be more open instead of you just jumping in, right? That's where we get the feeling that we're being attacked. And so just making it clear, hey, can I ask you this question? Can I get more into this with you? Mm -hmm. And he explained to me why he wouldn't care if it was true or not. And he explained you know, it makes him feel good and it comforts him. And, and that's a legitimate response, right? If, if it makes you feel good, yeah, I guess good, you know? Yeah. So I guess like what we've come to is, so step one is avoid it at all costs. If you have to either be diplomatic or straightforward, you kind of test the waters with your own family. Next step is, um, if you're going to get into that discussion, make sure you set the ground rules, right? And whether or not you're explicitly doing it, you know, just kind of the asking them permission to ask a question is a way of setting ground rules, right? You're, yeah. It's not formally saying, look, before we have this discussion, here's the freaking list of bylaws. It's just, you kind of establish it as you go on and say, okay, like, is it okay if I ask about this? Is it okay if we have conversation about this? If not, Let's just talk about the the Canucks or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think yeah, I think that's a good way good way to sum it up. Do we have any more thoughts on? I've on got this one topic? other area on this, okay. and it's I think what an observation I've had is that as your life fills up with new things, because we've also talked about the need, you have to start talking about new things. Mm-hmm. Your life is going to fill up with new things, but a lot of them, you're active family is going to have zero interest in hearing about. And you have to be careful and cognizant of that because I've heard. So my, somebody close to me is telling me that they had another relative who'd left the church and all that that relative would talk about is like coffee and alcohol and how great it was (laughs) to his believing family. And he said, I don't really care if he goes to church or not. But it's just weird that he keeps talking about this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even offend me or make me angry. It's just like, why are you doing this? Yeah. And 
I think there's a neat because you have confession ingrained into your life and you're doing these new things and you're worried about your parents' approval, it's kind of like you want to bring it up so that your parents can nod their head and say, we know that you drink and we still love you as our child, right? Yeah. And I guess like if that's actually your concern, if you're feeling a nervous confessional reason for talking about it, just maybe just be straight with your parents and say, mom, dad, I am drinking alcohol and drinking coffee and smoking weed. Do you still love me? And then they say yes or no, (laughs) right? Hopefully they just say yes. And then you can drop it and not be this nervous confessional talker about alcohol at every family event. Yeah, I do. uh, So something that we've talked about before is that people care to hear about as much about your not being Mormon anymore as much as they do about you being Being Mormon. Mormon. Right. And so just getting past that and just seeing... Right, like my friends who hate Star Wars, I'm not going to go on and on about, you know, how great Star Wars, how is. great Star Wars is. That's just not, yeah. that's just not the place. And I think you have to have that same understanding with, with other f- people. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I think that's going to be hard is that these things might be new and exciting for you, and you kind of want to talk about the experience with people who are close to you. Mm-hmm. But you got to take a step back and say they're not going to, they don't want to know. Yeah. They just don't want to know. And do you know what? If you think about it, when you're like Mormon and you get married and you have sex for probably the first time, that might be great, might be terrible. But if it's great, you don't go start telling everybody about it. (laughs) Right? Right. And so it's similar. Like, yeah, you're having this whole honeymoon phase with alcohol and drugs and whatever else. You don't go tell everybody what you did on your honeymoon, no matter what that right. honeymoon is for, right? Like, right. It, I think it brings, so what you need to do is become a more interesting person so that you have more interesting things to talk about. Yeah. So start reading books. Now that you don't have to read the scriptures hours every day, just find other books to read. And now that you have time free on your Sundays, go out and do other things on your Sundays so that you have something to talk about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just become a more interesting person. So you don't just have to talk about alcohol and cigarettes and, and marijuana. Right, right. And family, I, right? I, I think that's one of the best things about leaving is you get to become a more interesting person. I did yeah. the numbers once growing up. I spent 20 plus hours a week doing church things, going yeah. to church, having meetings, doing callings. I mean, as a deacon's quorum president, you even have to go and do things. You're 12 effing years old. Like yeah. what yeah. is going on? Right? Why are you collecting fast offering? Right. And then, and like, and like this is your whole life. And yeah. then you go to school and you're the weirdo because mm-hmm. you don't have anything else to talk about. You're not in soccer. You're not in <laughs> like, you're not in hockey. You're not yeah. in football. You're not doing anything. You're, you're just Mormon. That's your personality. You're the Mormon yeah. guy in the guy. class. Yeah. And it sucks. I had a gym teacher. I had a gym teacher literally call me elder and bishop. Right. And like he would give me these Mormon titles. Nicknames? Yeah, you're because you're so Mormon. I was the, yeah, I was the Mormon. There was nothing else to you. There was nothing else to me. And, and so, I, oh, sorry, keep Yeah, going. and my, my mom mentioned to us or to, to me that we weren't in sports or anything because, oh, we didn't need that, that worldly stuff to keep us busy. But I'm thinking... We had the church stuff controlling mm-hmm. our life, yeah. you know? Yeah, you would have been running around like crazy, but 
if we didn't have the church stuff, that running around to these other social activities where we would interact with other people, other human beings, wouldn't have been that overwhelming uh, situation that it would be in within the church and yeah. having that on top of it. So I get, yeah. So become with all your newfound time, like don't just trade being a Mormon for being an ex-Mormon. Mm-hmm. You have to cultivate some new and interesting things about yourself. So like one thing I've been doing is taking an interest in, in reading and things I've been reading are, are things that I never would have read when I was Mormon. Hmm. So I just start, like I started reading the Dexter novels. Okay. Have you, have you seen, did you watch the TV show? I've seen like a few episodes of the TV show when I was younger. Yeah. So I read the first novel and now I'm reading uh, the Hannibal novel because I just read it was like scary and over the top gory. And I'm like, well, now I don't have any hangups about this. So I'm just going to get into it. Right. <laughs> just go in. Yeah. And then there was a, a story I shared with you, a short story, Clive Barker. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you've read it yet, but that's short story. It just, it's really weird and a little disturbing, but also I found it just fascinating. Yeah. And I'm getting into all these things I never would have read as a Mormon, but they're interesting things to talk about. Yeah. But I don't need to preface it by saying like, I'm only reading these things because I'm not Mormon anymore. It's just, yeah. I'm you can just say I'm, I'm reading this. <laughs> it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't have to say, you know, Oh, I went rock climbing today because I'm not Mormon anymore. So I have that time because on Sundays. I've right? got free time on Sunday. Yeah. Now, you, so can, I, you can just say, Oh, I went rock climbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing, like when, as I got more interested in books, another thing I found out is that you can get like used cheap books on Amazon. Hmm. like cheap like if a, if they're selling a paperback novel for twenty dollars you can find like a used one for five bucks on amazon sweet so like i know like i hate reading on a kindle or whatever or on my iphone but i know you can get a lot of cheap uh, or you can get free uh books that have passed their copyright right right so i download those on my phone and then i just i'm like i hate reading books on a phone then i just found like you can buy cheap used books on amazon yeah Easy. so now I've got something else new to talk. Did you know you can buy cheap books on Amazon? Yeah. Used? <laughs> the whole new world's opening up. Now I got a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about because I'm trying to find things to put in my life outside of Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And it feels good. And I think yeah. I think that's probably the kind of the conclusion, like what this episode comes down to is should you or how should you talk to your family about the truth of the church? Well, yeah. just become an interesting enough person that that's not yeah. even something you even think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can't say anything else. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs>